seats and you'll turn to Matthew chapter 14 uh, and please be seated. You may be seated this morning. We're going to start a new series called Jesus Stories. It'll be a five-week series that will get us into uh, the last week of November, and then we'll spend um, all of December in our uh, annual Advent season. You know, the Advent season, the word Advent means uh, the anticipation, and so we'll look at the anticipation of Christ as we head into the Advent series. But these next five weeks, we're going to look at five very, very familiar passages of scriptures in the New Testament. Mostly, we'll be looking in the Gospel of Matthew. And what I want to do with this series is that I want to take these very, very familiar passages of Scripture and I want to look at them in a new light, if you will. I think a lot of times we come to these very familiar passages and we look into the passage as what we are in the passage. And, and this book, the Bible, is not a, a, a book for us or how we are to live life. There, there's parts of that. And so we can, we can assume that these Bible stories were written for us to gain something out of our lives, but that's not what these Bible passages are primarily about. We'll see that this morning. You know, I think we come to this passage and we come to uh, Jesus walking on water, and the first thing thought we have is we, we have to have we have to have the faith that Peter didn't have. Well, that's in the passage, but that's not primarily what this passage is about at all. And so I think we can come to passages that we've heard over and over and over and over and over again. And our children hear over and over and over and over and over again. And we miss the meaning of the passage. You see, this story isn't about Peter's lack of faith. Though that's how most of us have heard the story, right? If Peter had just kept his eyes on Jesus, then blank wouldn't have happened. And so the, the title of the message this morning is Focus. But I want to focus on what is this passage all about. And I'll give you what the passage is all about so you're not sitting here wondering. It's this one, these two words. Where Jesus comes and he's walking on the water and he says to the disciples who were, who were scared to death, he says, take heart, for I am here. So this passage is about the I am. It's not about Peter's lack of faith. See, if we miss what the passage is about, then we'll scurry around our lives. If I just had enough faith in this or enough faith in that or took my, didn't take my eyes off this or that. No, that's not the primary reason for the passage. The primary reason for the passage is for us, the same way as it was for the disciples, for us to know that Jesus Christ is the great I am. You see, it's the first time that the disciples had ever heard Jesus say this about himself. You see, up until this point, 14 chapters in the book of Matthew, they had heard God say it about his son. They had heard other people say it about his son, but they had never heard it from Jesus himself. And so in this passage this morning, Jesus says, I am. Sound familiar? The familiarity ought to be for us back in Exodus. 
where Moses had gone into the desert and he's standing before a burning bush that was not being consumed and he's having this conversation with God and he says to God, God, who do you want me to say is sending me? And what's God's response at the burning bush? Let's turn there to Exodus. Chapter 3. So remember the story. Moses had been saved by God and put in a basket and put down the river and then Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and trained Moses in all the ways of the Egyptians. And then something happened in the heart of Moses that he was at back and attached to the people, his own people, the Israelites. And he sees them fighting and he sees the Egyptians fighting and he kills one of them and then he sees the next day the, the, the Israelites fighting and they say to him, Moses, are you going to do what you did to us, what you did to the Egyptian? And then Moses flees. And he starts wandering the desert until this faithful day that he encounters this burning bush. And it says this in chapter 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? And then God said this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is the, to the people. Say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. Now let's flip back to Matthew chapter 14. says this in verse 27 we'll get there in the passage it says but immediately jesus spoke to them and said take heart it is i the greek way of saying that is i am it's two words in the greek i am do not be afraid and so this morning what i want to look at i want to look at what is our perspective or what is our focus on what do we set our eyes on what do we set our hopes on what do we set our desires on this morning you see that's going to tell us everything about who we say that jesus is or who jesus isn't by how we answer that question in the moment of our most terrifying moment so let's look at the passage. We'll kind of just, I'll read a little, tell a story a little, read a little, teach a little, and then we'll get through the passage a little different than I normally do. Let's read the passage. It says this in verse 22. The context of what's happening here in four, chapter 14 is Jesus had just finished feeding the multitude, the 5,000. And so here's the 5,000 people that had come to Jesus, and they, they wanted more for Jesus than Jesus was ready to give them. Right? In, the, in the passage, it talks about that all the people had been fed by Jesus. And then now there's this temptation for Jesus by the people to become king before God's called him be, to be king. That's what's kind of happening in the passage. And so Jesus is aware of this and says to his disciples and says to the people. In 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side. Two things that strike me in this first three words the word immediately and the word made 
Like immediately, here's all this pressure on Jesus. Here's all this pressure from over 5,000 people to make Jesus king. And what does he do? He says to his disciples, he says, he made them get into the boat. So that must have meant for the disciples in that moment, there must have been some reluctance to go where he said to go. Because he what? He made them. He didn't encourage them. He didn't ask them to go. He says forcefully, go. And he said it immediately. Well, as we read on in the passage, we'll see what's about to happen. I wonder if that day when the, the disciples were listening to Jesus, they, they looked up and they saw, man, in a distance, man, it doesn't look good over there. Like, that doesn't look good, Jesus. And you want us to get in a boat? Like, don't you see what's going on? Like, these were fishermen. They knew what would happen they could see and they could predict when weather was coming i just wonder that day if they were looking out over the seaside and they said man are you sure about this jesus because over there doesn't look too good and what does jesus say no no immediately he made them get in the boat and go it's so important for us to remember it's so important for us to see that in this passage you see, Jesus wasn't ignorant to what was going to go on. Jesus wasn't oblivious to what was about to happen. Jesus, if he really is God, then he knew all things at all time. Amen? So he knew what was about to happen to his closest friends moments later. And yet he says to them, go, get into the boat, and go on the other side. And then he says to the people. He dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I look at that passage, and I think to myself in that passage, man, we, we, we so often, at least I so often forget that Jesus was fully man. Which I wonder in that moment, if 10,000, 15,000 people were, were, were ever on the mountainside that day, and they were beginning to put pressure on Jesus for Jesus to be king. Right, let's not forget that. Like the people in that day were waiting with anticipation that there was going to be a savior. He was going to be king and he was going to conquer Rome. And I wonder in that moment, and Jesus, 15,000 people were saying, hey, now's the time, now's the time. If some sort of temptation didn't creep into Jesus. You see, we, we can look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and remember that he was tempted. We'd all say, yeah, he was tempted. And then I think we forget, man, no, temptation happened for Jesus the rest of his life. He tells us that in Hebrews. That in every way, the Savior, our King, was tempted the way you were tempted. And so I wonder if that day, for Jesus, if there wasn't some sort of temptation to be king, before the time his father had allotted. And so I think in the moment, Jesus being fully man, but yet fully God and fully dependent on the father said, man, I, I got to get out of here. I got to get these people away from me. I, I got to get the disciples away from me. I got to get these people away from me because the temptation is too much. And so he dismisses the crowd. And then where does he go? He goes up on the mountain to pray the same way he did for the 40 days in the desert 
And so I don't want to miss the fact that Jesus is still fully man in this passage. Jesus still faced temptation all the time, or Hebrews isn't true. And so Jesus said, oh, man, the temptation is too much. Which says to me, when temptation hits, what's our only answer for temptation? Prayer. That's our only defense against temptation, is to get away and pray. To get away, to be by ourselves with the Lord. Here's the beautiful part in it all, though. Jesus, still being fully God, knew what his disciples were about to face and still went away to be alone with his Father. Like, Jesus wasn't panicking in the moment, like, oh, I'm about to send these guys off to the sea, and what's going to happen? It's going to happen. The boat's going to begin to bust apart. Man, I, I better work and be furious about what to do. No, Jesus, being Jesus, went up on the hill and all the peace that he had and sat down and prayed with his Father. And we know he prayed for a while. We know this because it was in the evening time after supper. So somewhere between 6 and 9 o'clock, Jesus had started going up to the hill. Well, we know that Jesus doesn't have another moment with his disciples till about 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. So there's this huge swath of time that Jesus, in the middle of the night, is praying for temptation. I believe he was praying for his disciples. I believe he was praying for himself. I believe he was praying for the world. I, I believe you can take a snapshot of his prayer out of, out of uh, um, uh, for chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. And so here Jesus is, up on the mountain, praying. When evening came, he was there all alone. And then it says this in verse 24. But the boat the one that had his closest friend, his disciples in at that time, was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves. For the wind was against them, and it was in the fourth watch. And so here we see, here we see the boat. Had, God had called Jesus, had called his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. Now the journey wasn't long. If you look at a map, the journey from where they were to where they were going, we know where they're going in Mark and the Gospel of Mark. Where they were going to the to the the west side. They were on the east side. They were going to the east side. They were going to the Gerasenes. We see that in the same story in Mark chapter uh, ten, I believe. And he was so we know that it was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, which would only have been a, a, about two or three mile journey by boat. And so here it is in the middle of the night, the fourth watch, that they're now in the middle of the sea. That must have been a crazy storm. That must have been a wicked storm. So here are these men that have been in a boat for most of their lives. They've probably faced other situations like this, right? This can't be the first time they've ever been in a boat in a storm. And I wonder what that conversation in that boat, as they're rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing, we see that in the Gospel of Mark. It says that they were rowing ferociously to get out of danger. And so here's this moment, nine hours later they'd been on the sea. Nine hours of being in this storm. Now, I don't like it, the storm 30 minutes. I can't imagine being in a storm in a boat for nine hours. 
I read a story this week, maybe you read it too. This woman and her friend had set sail from, uh, from Hawaii to Tahiti. And um, man, this is a bad day. The first day, Jack, I'm going to get this water, I promise. See, I did it. This lady had set sail with her friend to get to Tahiti, which is a long way away from Hawaii. Well, day number one, you know what happens? She drops her, her, she drops her cell phone in the middle of the ocean. At that point, I would just circle back and gone home. I, I'd have said, this, ain't, this is not starting off well. Like, if my first day out in the sea, I drop my phone, like, the phone is your lifeline, at least it is for me. If I drop that in the middle of the ocean, well, then uh, a few months in, she, the, uh, the, the bow of their sail breaks in half. Well, that's not good. They had enough food for a year, and they were coming up on that year, and they would just begin to pray and pray and, and whoever they were praying to, whatever they were praying to, that, that there would be some deliverance. And their friends had begun to lost hope. They hadn't heard from them for months and months and months. And I wonder for them in that boat sailing to Tahiti, they, they ended up right off the coast of Japan. Now, you go look at a map. They're well off the course. I think back, and when I was reading this story this week, and I read that story, I thought to myself, I wonder what those disciples, they had sailed that sea hundreds of times. They were fishermen. That sea was their lifeline. That sea was their livelihood. That sea is where they made all their money. So it wasn't that they were unfamiliar with the sea. But this storm was so wicked that it says it was beating on, the waves were beating against the boat, and the winds was beating against them. I wonder if they were just terrified out of their minds. And then it says this. It was the fourth watch of the evening, between three and six o'clock. They'd been on sea, rowing and rowing panically for nine hours, and they'd only made it to the middle of the, the, middle of the sea. But when the disciples saw him, circle that word saw in your Bible. That word saw isn't just that they glanced upon him. They kind of saw him. That word saw means they intently looked at him. Could you imagine being on the sea? Could you imagine the waves? Could you imagine the wind, the rain, the, the chaos that was going on? And then all of a sudden, throughout to a distance, they see this figure, this human figure, walking on the sea. Let that, let's be reminded that the sea had not been calmed yet. Like, it wasn't like there's this path that Jesus walked on and nothing was going on around him. No, here in the middle of the chaos, here comes this figure walking to them. And I wrote this in my Bible. Here he was, Jesus, walking by them. Now think of that, this for a moment. Here Jesus was about nine hours before them, told him, hey, get in a boat and go across the sea. And here Jesus is nine hours later after spending time in the mountains praying with his father, he gets down and walks right to where they are. Don't miss that in the passage. 
Like, here's this massive lake, and Jesus knows right where to go. Wow. Which says this, Jesus never lost sight of them. Do you see that? Like, Jesus didn't, like, walk around the water like, where are you? No, he said, it got down, and he walked right to where he needed to go, right to where his children were, which says to me, in the midst of our chaos, Jesus has never taken his eye off of me. He's never taken his eye off of you. Amen? So even when Jesus calls us to go into the chaos, Jesus knows right where he's sending us, and he'll meet us right where we are at. Amen? You see, this story isn't about Peter having no faith. This is about the great I am knowing exactly where the disciples were at every moment. Amen? So for me, for you, wherever you are at this morning, Jesus has called you into the chaos. Do we not believe that? Whether you're going through cancer, whether you're going through a divorce, whether you're going through addiction, whatever you're going through, we know that God has to be sovereign in control of all things. Therefore, we know that God knows exactly where we are. That ought to bring us great comfort. You know, I wonder if the disciples in that moment, I know they had lost sight of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, they, they lost sight of, even if, the, if, if I'm in the depths of Sheol, Sheol therefore God is with me. I, I know they lost sight of God's wing is over me. He protects me. I know he, they, they missed out in Exodus where he says, I know the afflictions of my people. And I wonder for us, how often we forget those things too. How in the moment of the chaos, we forget who God really is. We forget that he is the great I am, and I am with you. We forget that Jesus is the great Emmanuel God with us. You see, I know the disciples forgot that. How do I know that? Because they were terrified when they saw this man walking on the water. You see, and so it says, but when his disciples saw him walking on the water, on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's got to be a ghost. You see, we read this passage, we're like, yeah, yeah, he walked on water. Like up until this point, nobody had ever walked on water. Like nobody. Like, and so here this man is coming and they see him walking. It says in Mark that Jesus, he was going to walk right past them. Like, hello, hey, Jesus, over here. Woohoo! And so in this passage, it says that he walked to them. And, but immediately, you see that word again? Immediately. How come immediately? Because Jesus saw their fear. Because he knew exactly where they were at. Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. He saw them. His eyes had never left them. Though their eyes had left them many a times that night. Many a times. I I imagine nine hours on a sea, like, where are you, God? Where are you? He knew exactly where they were. 
And immediately, he said to them, take heart or take courage. What? Take courage in this chaos? How how are we going to take courage in in the crisis? How are we going to take courage? Our boat's falling to pieces. How are we going to take courage? We're, We're getting overwhelmed with water in this boat. Take courage? How are we going to take courage? Because of this. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Like in that moment. Here Jesus in one moment with his disciples. Like no other moment they had had for the first two years of their lives with them. The the scholars say. For the first moment they had this aha moment when they hear I am is with me. Oh wait a second. You're not just a man, but now you really are God? Wait a second. I wonder for us, church, how often we don't see God. We don't see Christ as being fully God. We don't see him for who he really is. And so when he calls us into those places that we don't want to go, he calls us into those dark, dark places, the dark places of the soul, as Calvin says, those places of depression, those places of anxiety, all those places of the chaos of our life. Do we have that moment? Where are you, God? Anyone ever had that moment? Really, I'm the only one? Oh, good, I've got, got some people... Like, in those moments, like, really, God? I've shared this story before. My dad, when I was 31 years old, committed suicide. I remember being in a truck. I remember hearing the story, and I remember thinking to myself, really? Really? Like, here's a man that didn't love Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. And my plea to God almost every day was, God, bring him to you. Bring him to you. And so that moment when I got the phone call that he had committed suicide, all the hope that I had in him coming to Christ was dashed. And I thought, really? Really? That's how you're going to play this out? Really? And at that moment, I forgot, wait, holy cow. He's sovereign and in control of all things. Uh, not that I can't question him, but what am I questioning? Like, he's ruler over everything, therefore, he knows exactly what he's doing. And yet, I lost heart because I lost focus on who he was and who he is and what he's doing. You see, God's word says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We see that again in this passage. But yet we can be rest assured that all through the chaos, the great I am is with us. And what happens? It says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you and come on the water. And Jesus said, come. You see, this moment of, for, for Peter to come on the water wasn't a moment about Peter's faith, but it was a moment of, hey, do you really believe who you say that you believe that I am? Do you really believe I am the great I am? 
Because if, I, if you know I can walk on water, then you know I can call you to walk on water. So he's saying to Peter, do you really believe that? And Peter says, oh, I do. So Peter got out of the boat. I was talking to Rob about this this morning. Thank God Peter got out of the boat. Now, now yet again, let's be reminded that the chaos was still going on. The storm had not stopped. Right? We can come to this passage and we think, man, all of a sudden it was, just a, it was just glassy sea. No, no, it was chaos. And his intellect, Peter's intellect would have said, man, that is nutty to do that. That's crazy. Like, I've been on this sea 105 times. I've been in these kind of storms 500 times. I've been uh, capsized a number of times to say to get out of the boat. That's crazy. And so his intellect would have told him to get and stay in the boat. Thank God for his heart that says, no, no, I can trust on the one who calls. And I wonder for us how often God calls us to things and our intellect takes over. Oh, man, I'm I'm a numbers guy, so A plus B and one plus two. Man, that ain't going to work out in my favor. So I just better remain right here in the boat and not take any steps to show what God's called me to. Here's the beautiful thing. We go back to the very first verse in 22. Jesus knew exactly what he was sending them to. Jesus knew in this verse here that exactly what was going on. Jesus knows. And Jesus never took his eye off of him. So he gets out of the boat. And he walked in the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind when he was reminded of the chaos that was going on, he became afraid. And when he saw the winds, he was afraid, and he began to sink. I love that his name is Peter. What do rocks do on water? They sink. I don't think that's a play on words. I just think that's cool that here Peter is, rock. He gets afraid, and what's the first thing that rocks do on water? They sink. And yet here it is again. Here it is again, this one faithful word in the text. It says, but when he saw the winds, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. We all need to cry that out. You see, that's a cry of salvation. And for some of us this morning, we need to cry out that for our eternal salvation. Lord, save me. I love those three words, Lord, save me. Hey, not, hey, Lord, let me save myself, but hey, Lord, I'm in a desperate place. I'm sinking, I'm drowning, I'm dying. I'm going to die if, if you don't intervene. So, Lord, save me. And some of us the morning, this morning, that's all you need to hear this morning. Is you need to cry those three words, Lord, save me. Save me from the chaos. Save me from the trouble. Save me from life and all that's going on around me. Because God, I need you. This life that I'm living in, this chaos that I'm living in, I can no longer do it. So Lord, save me. And I would say to you this morning, just give up and surrender. The wind, the rain, the waves, the chaos of life, will always drown you out. 
You are not more, uh, you, you are, do not have more wisdom, more strength, more courage th- than all that God's putting you through. All that you have is to be a needy man or a needy woman and cry out to a holy God that says, I am. And then what happens when we do the cry out? What happens when we cry out? When the moment we come to our breaking point in this text, the moment that Peter came to his breaking point, it says, Lord, save me. And it didn't want it says, Jesus immediately there's that word again immediately which means to you and to me the same way that it says in verse 22 immediately the same way that it says here immediately jesus saw him he never took his eyes off of him he saw him sinking and the moment he cried out he extended his hand jesus will never be late with the rescue do you see that because jesus always sees us He's just waiting for the cry out. The sad reality of it is some of us cry out way too late. Some of us never cry out. I hope that's not you this morning. I hope that's not you and the chaos and you're so stubborn that you say, man, I'll do it. I'll defeat it. I'll get through it. I'll make it on my own. I'll do what I got to do. And you never make those three words. You never cry out, oh, Lord, save me. And you end up drowning. My greatest fear, though, is that there's many people Maybe you're in here this morning and you resist God. You resist Him and you resist Him and you resist Him and you never cry out and you never cry out, Lord, save me. And because you never uttered those three words, you will spend eternity in hell apart from Him. Don't be so prideful. Don't be prideful. Cry out as a needy man or a needy woman this morning and then it says this jesus immediately i love this he reached out with his hand think of all the ways that jesus could have done it all the ways that jesus could have could have stopped him could have rescued him could have could have pulled him out of the water what does it say it says so as something very relational he didn't just say all right G- all right peter just get up no he saw him and then what did he do he extended his hand to him and pulled him up. What a relational response to, oh, Lord, save me. I'm so glad that we have a relational God that doesn't just sit far off to rescue us, but he gets down in it with us. He gets in the chaos. He gets in the storm with us and pulls us up out of the chaos. And he immediately reached out and took him and said to him, oh, little, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt what? What was he doubting? I think it goes back, I don't think it goes back to doubting Jesus, though it was. I don't think it goes back to doubting all this. I think it goes back to doubting who Jesus was. I think it goes back, when he's saying that to Peter, he's saying, oh, you of little faith, oh, you that doubt, do you really doubt that I'm not only fully men, but I promise you I'm fully God. I think that's what he was doubting. 
Because if, if, if he wasn't, then he would doubt everything else. I think so often we forget who it is that calls us into the chaos. You see, God's never going to call us anything into things that he himself will not go with us to because he is the great I am. He has control over all things. He's sovereign over all things, amen? And so if he's sovereign all over all things, when I get in the middle of the storm and I lose focus, I'm not losing focus of anything but who he is, the great I am. And then what happens to the rest of the disciples? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This took place after all the other things happened. You catch that? Jesus walked to them in the storm. They were in the storm. Jesus caused them, caused Peter out of the boat into the storm. He rescues them in the storm. And it wasn't until the moment that they placed their faith, they placed their hope into the great I am and they got into the boat that all the chaos ceased and I wonder for you and I wonder for me is that just what Jesus is waiting for us for to to come to that place of man I can't do this I can't I can't do this anymore and we can read this passage and we can see that the the wind stopped and the rain stopped and the storm stopped and it ceased immediately. And, and we can come to ourselves and think, man, if I, if I just cry out to God, all this stuff around me will stop. Maybe it won't, though. But that doesn't take away who God is. But it does say we have peace in the midst of a storm. But here in this passage, it all stopped. Thank God. But that might not be true for you. That might not be true in my life. Like I, I, you and I might live in chaos for a long time. But yet we go back to, okay, God is sovereign, and he's control, and he's with me in it. And if he's with me in it, then the chaos has stopped. Though this life is going on around me in the chaos of life, I can rest assured to be in the arms of Jesus, my mighty Savior. And then it says this, when they got in the boat and the wind stopped, those in the boat worship him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. See, that's the first moment the disciples realized who Jesus was and they worshiped him. I'd ask us this question in closing this morning. Do we worship Jesus in the chaos? Do we worship him when the chaos stops? Do we worship him regardless of everything that's going on around us because why he is the great i am let's never lose focus on who jesus is let us pray god i'm grateful for this story i pray that i never lose heart i pray that your people never lose heart and that we would see you this morning as the great i am jesus the great i am and in this story, you say to us, you are the God of the universe. And that's so true. You are sovereign and in control of all things. And God, I'm reminded of this passage that my eyes may lose focus of you. My eyes may get focused and my heart may get focused on the things around me, the chaos around me. You, God, you, Lord Jesus, you, Holy Spirit, have never 
lost sight of me. You know exactly where I am every moment of the day. And when I cry out, oh Lord, save me, immediately, because you know where I am, because you're with me, you rescue, you rescue, you rescue. I pray for that for us. I pray for that for your people, God. I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that they're in the middle of that chaos, they're in that middle of the storm, that God, through this message this morning, you saying that I am, that they would hear that, and they would say, okay, okay, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. You are always with us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen.